So what's going on, man? Oh, not too much, man. Just, just trying to figure out how to uh, keep thinking through ways of, 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 of trying to minister in a pandemic, man. That's all. <laughs> keep, keep that brain turning. Uh, what has your interest at the moment? It's a good question. Oh, oh man. It's, it's, uh, yes, that's a, that's a good question. I think, uh, like what, what, what has my heart at the moment is just this desire to see, like, I feel like I want freedom for people more than they want it for themselves. <laughs> um, and that, and that frustrates me in the sense that like all of these, like, uh, I, I want, so what I was it? What's the occasion for that? No, like, just so like little stuff, people, um, uh, your boy, what's his name? Uh, Owen, whatever his name is. Um, my boy. Made, yeah, or not, not, not your boy, but the boy, <laughs> that, that man, that man, and and he like left uh, MBTS to go to whatever little right, 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 yeah. And you were, you were, you were, uh, you were pushing back on me for. I uh, didn't. No, 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 dude, totally justified. By the way, that's not like I'm not. My feelings aren't hurt or anything. Um, yeah, yeah, you're talking about uh, Mr. Mr. Stra- uh, sorry, yeah, Owen Straken. Yeah. Okay. Is that how you say his right. name? I never knew how to say it. I guess, yeah. Okay, That's whatever. Yeah, they got okay. Yeah, yeah. I never yeah. heard of him until like two years ago, and yeah, and he's just everywhere, and it's never like yeah. I've never, I've never seen anything from him and been like, oh wow, that's a, that's a good point. That's worth reflecting. Like never, <laughs> not once. That that hasn't happened, and everybody just like keeps on talking about this dude who's always saying wild stuff. I'm like, it's clear what he's doing at this point. Like it's it's clear. Like I, I, it's clear, and and he left one seminary that I do not care about to go to another seminary that nobody cares about. And, and, <laughs> and people are just like, what are we, what are we doing here? There's so many people that we could be given oxygen to. There's so many voices that we could be elevating and stuff like that. So like, it's one of the, like, I want freedom for people more than like they want it for themselves. I'm like, you know, we don't have to pay attention to, to these. Like right now, the only reason these guys have a platform is because of you. Like, yeah, if we ignored them, they would still have whatever little platform they went to. But it would be like nobody would care. We'd view them as like a little, a little, a little cultist offshoot, you know? Uh, yeah. So I think, I think, I, I think you're exactly right. Um, I think the uh, aside from the fact that it's just easy to like dunk on stuff, yeah. you know, like we bracket that. I think um, whatever legitimate concern there is is like. The SBC is the largest denomination. It's, I mean, that it's a large denomination, right? And uh, and so you've got guys like the president of Southern Seminary, and I think the anxiety is, well, you know, this guy's actually in a position to control some stuff yeah. and to influence some stuff, and a lot of resources and a lot of people, and so you know, it's worthwhile to push back on, on some things. Uh, yeah, and again, and like, I don't, I don't ever mean to like personally about anybody. It's just even, even with, and, and I get like the, the, the wrestling with the, like Al Moeller, right. Who, who's, who's um, shadow, his, his stature is very large in that arena at the, at the flagship seminary of, of the Southern Baptist convention or whatever. I, I get the impulse, but I guess for me, like, and, and, and this it's, is the pipe dream, but what if we collectively stop caring about this confederate organization like in my mind and 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 i know it's not like fair to keep waving that over like them but at the same time it kind of is right because if 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 that is the genesis of your theological tradition that you demand that everybody honor and respect i need you to point me to the specific time where you guys made a shift so that we can trust your interpretation and your exegesis because like it's pretty wildly acknowledged that y'all got the whole slavery and black people thing wrong the first time right so right. where do you get off with the nerve and the audacity talk to me now about what racial justice needs to look like it, sound, it seems to me like you should be sitting in the audience for this one right like <laughs> you, you don't get to sit on this panel like, yeah <laughs> yeah I, I i um it's i think it's very charitable of you to to say you know may, maybe maybe we don't need to keep rubbing the whole confederate thing in their face but they do continue to quote confederate theologians Right. Uh, did you see the flowchart I made? No, I didn't. I didn't see the flowchart. Yeah, so I made this little flowchart about to. It's like a guide to like when you should quote Confederate theologians, right? Right. And so, so you ask the the first question you ask yourself is, can I 
are there any other authoritative sources that I can cite, right, that, right. who aren't Confederate theologians? And if the answer to that question is yes, then you just cite the other source, right? right. If the answer to that question is no, then you, then ask you need yourself, to ask yourself why. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So, so first you ask yourself, um, do I have an argument, right, rather than just citing a source? And if you have an argument, then just give the argument, right? And if you yeah. don't have an argument and there aren't any other sources, then you should be asking yourself, is this really something I should believe? Right. Right. <laughs> right. But in, right. in any case, you don't cite the Confederate theologian. That all the the all the lines on the flowchart come come down to a stop sign that says like don't, don't quote the Confederate the, theologian. And it doesn't make any sense. Like it's not like they got something small wrong. They literally Ex nihilo, out of nothing, preached a nation into existence. Yeah. That and, and and a nation that was only vanquished by what is to this very day the bloodiest war in the history of the United States of America. More people died in that conflict than any other war on the records. And and that is because largely because of 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 the 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 sanctification of this institution that like these very gentlemen whose names decorate the halls of of that campus uh, uh on southern like and that blows my mind that like oh we're sitting here oh that's that doesn't uh, accord to their message of faith who, who cares like let's let's, yeah. let's look at somebody else's message of faith you know um right yeah and and the thing so what occurs to me is that it would be it would be really shocking if the only thing those guys got wrong was slavery exactly right right and, and like because that's such a that that's such a big thing to get wrong right right like it like if you you know if you could imagine uh a conversation with one of these guys you know at the at the founding of the convention uh where you know i don't know like they're talking to god or something and god is like Hey, you know, you guys were really wrong about the slavery thing. I don't see any of them going like, oh, hmm, okay. Um, all right, well, I guess I was wrong about that. No problem for anything else that I believe. Like, no, I mean, it was, it yeah, was integral it, to, to how they approached, like, you know, anthropology, right? right. And it's this whole system where uh, there's a divinely ordained hierarchy where the whole purpose of certain humans is to like serve the purposes of other humans. Right. Which is why, especially when we're talking about uh, complementarianism, whatever have you, or like, I don't feel like y'all have the the authority to speak on it. Like you, you might want to grab a seat in, in on the, on the floor and let somebody else have a seat on the panel. Cause you might have some things to learn here. And, and I, I, I don't, want to sound like an expert on everything because there, there might be something I missed. This is not all the way my history, but if we can't, like, I, I know they've apologized for their stance on slavery and all that stuff, but can we point to- And it took a minute for that. Like, right, a, a lot of minutes, <laughs> but can we point to a specific mea culpa where they, they, they ran a diagnostic and said, this is how we got this wrong. This is what was broken in our approach that, that, that led us to this conclusion. And until I see that, like, why are you talking? <laughs> as, as, as far as I can tell, the, the, the shift was a sort of capitulation, right? Like they came to the realization like, oh, uh, we're just gonna be increasingly irrelevant if we don't, if, if we don't concede this point, right? Right. Um, and that's not really how the church is supposed to arrive at positions on morality. Right. Uh, it, it shouldn't be the case that, uh, you know, secular society is dragging the church along uh, on the arc of moral progress. Right? Yeah. And, and, and to be fair, that's something that a, a large part of the church struggles with like while there are certain denominations and stuff that have been ordaining women for, for, eons like a lot of people had to come around to that slowly and 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 you're seeing that with a lot of different areas where like yeah the church is kind of like tugged along by secular society at large but at the same token this is a pretty big one like they literally li literally i'm not 
making this up, I'm not exaggerating even a tiny bit. Like they preached the Confederate States of America into existence. Like they split their denomination first and then helped in splitting a country. (laughs) That's a difference like between maybe getting something wrong and then being so married to conviction and power that you alter the course of a nation and you don't get to just sit there and like pivot from that like oops my bad without some real soul searching and accounting and you definitely don't get to skip that step and then finger wagging other people about what is and is not in line with the bible because based on what i see what you guys esteem to be in line with the bible is demonic yeah in some respects you know um and that's frustrating to me because, like, to me, a lot of the stuff is so clear. Like, I, c- I can see it so clearly. And there, there are people that I don't want to cast judgment on because I think their heart is in the right place in terms of, oh, like, these are my people. I want to be a minister to them. And I'm like, that's cool. But sometimes the best way to minister is to shake the dust from your feet. You know, um, there, yeah. there, there's 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 after a matter of fact, and and even they believe this because they have this whole oh we we're turning you over to Satan like fine you have it your way, like that, that it's something that we all widely acknowledge as a tool in the toolbox. After a while, I'm not gonna keep on wrestling with you if you want to have it this way. Fine, you 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 can have it, and the rest of the world will move on without you. Yeah, yeah. There's a um. I mean, the similarities in the rhetoric around slavery and white supremacy are uh, the similarities in the rhetoric there to the rhetoric around uh, the patriarchy, which the guys that spearhead this stuff, I mean, they, they admit that it's that the best name for it is patriarchy, right? Um, the, the rhetoric is identical, right? It's like... Um, yeah, if you disagree with me, then you just you're disagreeing with the Bible. And uh, if you can disagree with the Bible about this, then what can't you, you know, manipulate the the uh, or if you can if you can say that the Bible says the opposite of what it says, right? Which is you know really what they think it says, right? right. Um, if you can do that here, then what can't you do that with? I mean, it's it, they're the same arguments. I mean, there's a there's a reason why they they find such. Uh, rich resources in terms of uh, material to cite uh, from patriarchists who also happened to favor the institution of slavery. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's the thing about it to me, because I believe in doing theology in community, right? Like I think there's a beauty to hashing things out with people who might not see things the same way as you, uh, because there are certain things that I'm not privy to in life and therefore in my interpretation of the scriptures that are only enlightened when I engage with people who walk different lives than I do, you know? Um, One of the things about me growing up in the United States of America is that usually the view that I am, uh, okay, a view that I'm never lacking in, right? Is the view of white males, like that's the default. It's not anything I'm like, I'm, I'm rarely in need of, man, you know what? I need to talk to a white man to find out what I'm not seeing about this because it's almost impossible for me to be here and cognizant of, of anything and not know what like at least a few different schools of, of, of white men are thinking on a certain topic, right? But when you talk about black people, women, black women, Latin community, Asian Americans, indigenous people, queer people all these different things like okay no they, they can turn my eye to some blind spots that, that that i haven't thought of right um and that's an important process to go through because at the end of the day we are all bringing biases to the text right um i've gotten a lot more comfortable being honest and open about my biases i will tell you up front that I am going to look for the most liberating reading of the text. What can I find in this text that will bring the most freedom to everybody, right? That's diametrically opposed to the default lens in a lot of so-called conservative schools where uh, 
we bring an objectivity that is literally impossible, right? Like the, the, you can't read anything objectively. And the idea that you can read something objectively is really asserting your own supremacy, right? And saying that the, 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 whoever thought this way didn't bring any biases, which is not possible from a human standpoint. And that's one of the reasons that I, theology and community is so important, right? Because that's how biases get checked. Like, oh no, you're reading it this way because this is how you're seeing that, but I'm seeing it this way because, and and and, and that's an important thing to wrestle with. Like, that's why uh, like certain ecumenical pursuits are really important and fruitful. But the problem becomes when people do that just to check off a box, just to say that they did it instead of really being committed to it. And, and, and a lot and, and, of- Oh, go ahead. Just a lot of these spaces are not committed to it. They're they're more committed to reinforcing the interpretations they they've already had and that have been passed down to them than expanding their knowledge base and the way they see things. You know, and and um, I'm seeing a lot of these folks aren't even interested in checking the boxes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just just sort of uh, checking the boxes in a perfunctory way is not good but it's a it's a different kind of mistake i think to to sort of claim that like you don't you don't even need to give uh lip service to like other perspectives because i i mean a lot of these people would say that what you just said is somehow a denial of the claim that there is such a thing as objective truth right just because you've observed that there are uh, different perspectives on the truth, right? Um, you know, uh, more than one of which could be entirely true, and some and some of the perspectives might be, you know, uh, you know, partly true, uh, partly untrue, but they're still adding uh, texture that we don't have if we don't at least listen. Right. 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 Um, but they, they because they conflate their own position with the objective truth. Exactly. Yeah. Objective they, truth. They, objective truth absolutely exists. But the problem is that all of us are fallible. Right. And <laughs> we're always going to see it through a certain lens. So the, the moment you believe that you have the objective truth, what you've then done is placed yourself in the in the position of normative you've asserted your own, like, basically you, you've made yourself the determiner of objective truth. Um, and that's not like, it's, 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 it's simple stuff, man. Like the whole idea that, that uh, the Bible is this, this clear cut thing that everybody can read and come to the same conclusions doesn't make any sense at all. Um, I don't even believe that that is how the original audiences would have come in. Like, no, it's, it's, it's um, some some messy stuff in there, and we got to get a hands up. Even okay, wow. If if there is one single objective truth, why are there four different gospels <laughs> in the Bible? It, it, it doesn't. I mean, okay, I said that wrong because there is an objective truth. But I'm saying if, if if we don't all view things differently, right? Like if there's not more than one way to view that objective truth, why are there four different gospels? Is what I meant to say. Right. Um, and 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 little stuff like that. I don't. I, I, I've kind of lost patience with people who want to pretend that things are cleaner than they are. Yeah. Um, because the moment we don't allow for the messiness is the moment we start pushing people and views um, to the side when we would all benefit from incorporating them in our dialogue. You know. Here's something I'm th- I've been trying to think through for a while now. It's the intersection of um, authority, claims to authority, claims about biblical interpretation, right? Yeah. And because I think I think there's a group of folks in uh, you know what we call conservative evangelicalism who identify uh, moral truth with a kind of social hierarchy. And so they actually, they actually think when 
when people make claims about justice, right, which has this, which aims at this kind of leveling effect, it levels out these, um, you know, uh, inherited uh, social hierarchies based on, I think, what is plainly what what even the, some of these conservative evangelicals would admit is, you know, past injustices, right? Mm -hmm. um, the the claims of justice aim at uh, leveling out these hierarchies. And so when these, when, when conservatives look at these claims about justice and they say, well, no, that's like, you know, antithetic to uh, moral truth, et cetera, et cetera. I used to think that that was, that they were just lying. I used to think that was just, they're just arguing in bad faith. But I think I've come to realize that they actually believe that. They actually believe that somehow the leveling of these hierarchies is a threat to the uh, moral order. And by moral order, of course, I mean um, this relationship of like authority and submission and submission to, you know, their preferred interpretations of uh, the biblical. Because, because that's, I mean, all they're doing is filtering their, their views about who should be in power, namely them, through scripture, yeah. right? And they think that that's like what, the moral order is supposed to be. And of course that it's actually, all of this is actually antagonistic to a genuine moral order, right? There's a, there's no order, it's just chaos because it's, yeah. it, it's whatever they want. Yeah, so maybe, I mean, do you have thoughts on that? I, I, I just said a lot and it wasn't very well organized, uh, but, but that's, I'm just wrestling with this. It just seems to me that all of these things are connected and, and in this conversation. So there's this, cycle that I'm convinced people go through, especially with regards to biblical interpretation and social order, where most people can read the Bible and see God as a liberator of sorts, God as a defender of oppressed peoples. And just about every Christian community that I'm aware of has at some point identified themselves with Israel and Egypt. And we talked about this a little bit last time, right? Mm -hmm. And that's something that, that even like the, the earliest uh, colonial settlers uh, did here, they, they viewed America as their promised land and, and, and all, things of that nature. The problem with that is that when you read yourself into the text in that way, that seat is already occupied. It impairs your ability to see anybody else in that seat. So wow. when the enslaved uh, Africans and, and their descendants read themselves into that story, no, nah, that's problematic. Y'all can't be Israel because we, we were already Israel. Like y'all are the Canaanites, um, you know? Wow. And, and, and what happens is uh, when we center ourselves in the text in that way, we uh, sometimes inadvertently, sometimes it's out of necessity, start putting other people in, in other categories because uh, just the way our brain defaults into us versus them, um, it is how it goes. It's in, and I think it's a mistake that a lot of people have made throughout history because yeah, God was fighting for your freedom. God, God is fighting for your liberation, but he's not just fighting for your freedom and your liberation, right? Which is why it was such a crazy concept that when Jesus came along, he, why are you fraternizing with Samaritans? Why, why are you dining with the tax collectors? Why are you chilling with sinners? Because he's, oh, you thought this was just about you? No, I'm trying to see everybody free you know um that one passage in luke chapter nine where jesus is uh talking about most most bible translations label the, the section uh the cost of following jesus where you get the verse uh foxes have dens birds have nests son of man has nowhere to lay his head and then somebody says okay i'll follow you but let me uh, bury my father and Jesus says let the dead bury their own dead and somebody says okay let me say goodbye to my family and Jesus says if you put your hand in the plow and look back you're not fit for the kingdom right um, he talks about the cost of following Jesus that's actually interesting because it's situated right after the story of when he's 
going and he plans on staying with the Samaritans for a while. But when they find out that he's proceeding to Jerusalem, they're like, nah, forget it. Like, don't don't even worry about it. If, you, if you're going to kick it with them, we don't even need you here. And the idea that Jesus is fighting for everybody, for the elevation and inclusion of everybody, the first to be last, the last to be first, isn't a statement of reversing fortune. It's a matter of leveling the playing field. We kind of lose that lens on things when we focus on reading ourselves into the text that truth be told belong to somebody else right like the stories that we read in the bible we're, we're borrowing um we, we 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 get to claim them as inheritors of the kingdom as 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 children of god through through adoption in jesus christ faith in jesus christ but when we do that we kind of miss what was so revolutionary about what jesus did where he says, no, um, I'm not just fighting for your liberation. I'm fighting for everybody's liberation because we've all been captured by these sins. We've all been in, in, caught up in this system of sin. And that, that's a thing that a lot of people don't even realize. When we talk about this concept or the construct of whiteness or whatever and white supremacy, it's not just for the sake of saying that all white people are terrible because white supremacy hurts everybody, including white people. Oh, if I give you a concrete example right now, the tip minimum wage is $2.13 an hour, right? Um, and one of the reasons that there is a separate minimum wage for tip workers is because most of those jobs, like train porters and things of that nature, um, were occupied by Black people originally, right? Um, and because they at one point it was illegal to not have a job <laughs> and that was enforced upon black people so that uh they become sharecroppers or whatever but basically look you can get this job we're not gonna pay you you're gonna have to depend on the charity of other people as i understand it um tipping culture in america is a lot different than most countries like other countries you, you're the, the cost of whatever food is, is is built in and then you tip if you feel like it but in america people depend on that and now we're at a position where it's not just black people working those jobs. You got mothers, single mothers of multiple children working that job and a couple others to try to keep it. And because of this, that was baked into the system so long ago, just because, oh, oh, black people need a job so they can stay out of jail. Like that hurts everybody, right? <laughs> and and mm -hmm. that's a concrete example I'm giving. So when Jesus says, no, I'm fighting for everybody's liberation, like those, these are the type of things we're talking about. And we lose that lens when we're continually reading ourselves into the story at the expense of other people's place in that story, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, and, oh, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 you go ahead. I, 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 that was a mouthful for me. No, no, I would finish it off. But yeah, unless we can develop a regular habit and practice of reading that story or reading these stories with all. Uh, rotating seat like musical chairs of sorts right like unless we can develop the humility necessary to try to read other people into these stories take ourselves out of our favorite seats um i think we're going to keep going in the cycle of not being able to see the humanity and agency of other people and reinforcing these like harmful social norms and and, and hierarchies no, that's brilliant two things occurred to me there one is that um, since uh, all people are created in the image of God, um, to the extent that we foreclose the possibility of reading other people into these roles in scripture, we are blinding ourselves to aspects of who God is Yes, uh, that are reflected in the people who we sort of box out of these yes. roles in scripture. So we're, it, it impoverishes our theology. Um, and then the second thing, relatedly, let's say that uh, I, as a, you know, a 21st century white male in the United States, whose life is rather comfortable compared to most of the human beings that have ever existed. If I read myself into the the role of the Israelites uh, who are being liberated from bondage in Egypt, right? And I right. think, okay, well, how does that apply to my life? Then, then that, I mean, that's how you end up with these really insipid, uh, just sort of boring readings of the text that say like, 
oh, well, what this is really about is that, is that this is, I mean, ultimately, yeah, they, there were these people who were in bondage and they got freed and that's great and everything. But what it's really about is like, it's this beautiful metaphor of like us being freed from sin, right? right. And it's like, okay, I mean, sure, like that's a layer, but like when you reduce the whole significance of that text to like being freed from sin or whatever, like, first of all, I mean, that, that seems like a lot of suffering for, you know, centuries of people to go through just so that you can have like a metaphor to work with. Yeah. Right. But also that's just like, I don't, I mean, it's boring and lame. Like that, like that's really all it's about, but like right. that, that, that's all the resources I have. If, if I'm just, if, if I insist that like, that's me and right. no one else, right. Then that's all the story can be really. Right. And this is one of the problems, the, the most popular interpretation, right, is that, okay, the church is the picture of the new Israel, and, and that's where the metaphor comes in. I'm like, okay, that's cool. That's dope. <laughs> I like that. The problem is even our concept of the church is broken because a lot of people, when we think of church, we think of like the churches that we know of. We're not necessarily thinking of Coptic Christians in Egypt. We're not necessarily thinking of Eastern Orthodox people in Russia. We're not really thinking about uh, Pentecostals in in South Africa. We're not necessarily thinking about like all these different things going on. And that's honestly, um, it's, a, it's a sad state of affairs when we don't incorporate the fullness of that because if we read past the Exodus story, and into like the history of the nation of Israel, this is ongoing thing of them falling into sin and being dispersed into this diaspora uh, where you now have God's people subjected to all these different like regimes around at that point, the, the Middle East and everything. But if we view the church as a new Israel, that is an admission that God is in the business of regathering, right? Even you look at, Pentecost and Acts talks about all the different tongues that were spoken um, when the Holy Spirit overtook the place and everybody could hear God in their own language. That is an admission that God's people communicate differently, that there are different cultures involved, that there's different, and, and we kind of rob ourselves of the fullness of God and, and God's ultimate plans when we default to thinking that, oh, they were just speaking different languages, but practicing the exact same things and living the same lives. Like, no, it's not typically how life works at all. As a matter of fact, language and culture are very much tied together. Um, you could tell a lot about a culture by their language and what their words mean and emphasize. So if the Holy Spirit says that I'm going to come so that everybody can hear in their own language, then that means that we need to acknowledge that God is acting, that God's care, that God's heart is for the nations, plural. Right, the different cultures and all those things. And we would do well to try to give as many of those nations as possible a seat in the, 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 our, whatever our favorite seat is, whatever seat we like to occupy in the scriptures. Let's, let's, let's give somebody else a turn and see what that looks like. Um, because then we can, we, we might be able to, 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 to see the heart of God in today and, and, and what, uh, following Jesus requires of us, right? Like this is, I don't even know exactly how it happened, but a recent awakening to uh, the conflict in, in Israel between uh, the Israelis and the Palestinians and people were like, wait a second, is everything we've been, like is, is everything that 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 uh, Zionism has, has uh, required us to believe is, is all of that the whole truth and people are now starting to ask questions because at the end of the day it's, it's not always black and white you know like people are just now finding like oh there's there's Christians in Palestine wow which first of all should not matter <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. but at, at the same token when we recognize the fullness of the diaspora of whatever you because first of all not only are there christians in palestine there are jews in palestine jesus was a palestinian jew uh you know and <laughs> yes there happen to be muslims as well but the fact of the matter is like when we fail to grasp the fullness of of how we exist in in community with so many different people in, in nations and tongues like thinking about that ought to change some of your like basic perceptions 
of of the world we inhabit today. Am I making sense right now? Oh yeah. And, yeah, um, but I, 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 oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're making perfect sense. I, th- but I think I think if you're going to acknowledge that and you're going to give people, uh, um, you're you're going to uh, sort of seed your preferred seat, uh, as you I think put it really beautifully. Uh, then I think I think people have the sense that at a certain point um, they're going to have to stop exploiting those people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they don't want to do that. They don't want to do that. Yeah. Well, the other thing is like we don't want to admit that we're exploiting people at the end mm. of the day. Like you, nobody likes that. I've already been saved. I'm not a sinner anymore. I can't be exploiting these people. And, and that's, a, that's a hard realization to come to. That's one of the reasons that we don't like talking about all these racial justice issues. Like, wait a second, we, we, we fought a war, we ended slavery, we even had a black president. What do you, what do you guys mean that, that there's systemic racism? Like, no, this stuff was pretty deeply ingrained. And when you have that sort of conversation, it's, it's disorienting, it's discombobulating. We don't like that. Like, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's very uncomfortable. And I, I think that's my frustration that's my I think that's my core frustration with the uh, white evangelicals like in the subculture that I grew up in is is that I don't know I, I don't know I don't know how I don't know you know sometimes like you grow you know pe- people grow up and they look back at their family and they're like how did I like how did I turn out the way that I you know what I mean because yeah. um, it's like you know if uh, you're looking at you know a series of objects and it's like which one of these things doesn't fit you know like that's that's kind of you know yeah yeah uh, yeah so i don't i just i i never had the sense that the object of my christian faith was somehow to enhance my comfort hmm. but quite the opposite actually uh so when i read scripture and understand it it, it should not confirm uh, what it should not confirm my understanding of, you know, what's good about me and, and why, the, why other people owe me stuff right. and why, why other people should really be more like me. Uh, that, that's just, and, and I look at, at other folks sort of who are in that, subculture and it just seems like they they read they see the bible as like a collection of quotes that they can drop in conversation or argument to demonstrate why things are as they should be in the world around us Faith, philosophy, and politics family. How y'all doing, man? I'm Trey. I'm Sam. And I'm Rob. And we're the co-host of the Three Black Men Podcast, a podcast about theology, culture, and the world around us. Got a lot of love for Scott. Probably heard me on here a few times. But I think we have some things for you over here, so you can listen to us wherever you get your podcast. Spotify. Apple. All of them, thanks. All of them. (laughs) We in there. Now back to your regularly scheduled programming. I see one more person try to proof text me to death on Twitter in 280 characters <laughs> or less. I'm 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 gonna catch a charge because and you're right about that. You're absolutely right about the way that people will the Bible around. Like, <laughs> you ever heard the, the 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 little acronym for Bible? It's basic instructions before leaving Earth. I don't know if if they taught you that. <laughs> uh, that mess frustrates me um because we handle this so ridiculously i believe that uh scripture is useful for training and and righteousness and all of those things but i don't think it's an instruction manual a step-by-step do these things and you become 
more like God. I think it's more of wrestling with the text. Um, and I think that's borne out in the text. Like when, okay, uh, Jacob's name wasn't changed to Israel until he wrestled with God and he refused to let go until God blessed him. And God's blessing happened to look like a limp. You know, um, it's going to change the way you walk and, and you might look like you were labored after wrestling with God. Um, Jesus and the Canaanite woman, where he says that, oh, it's not right to take the food from the children and give it to the dogs. Um, but she gets right back at him like, well, even dogs had to eat the food that falls off the master's table. Sometimes growing in righteousness is a matter of wrestling with God. Um, sometimes it's a matter of like, look, I don't understand this particular predicament. I don't understand why you feel uh, why you got feel that this is the way this needs to go or why I deserve to be in this. Um, sometimes we got to get mad <laughs> with God uh, because I believe that God is big enough to handle that. But that's where righteousness comes from. Righteousness isn't about doing the right things. Righteousness is about believing and trusting in God, even when it's easier to do the opposite right um, the bible says that abraham believed god and it was credited to him as righteousness right. because nothing about abraham's situation suggests that he should have been able to produce a biological child at that stage in his life but he still had the audacity to believe um even when people thought he was crazy to believe such a thing that's righteousness when you believe in something beyond what you can see beyond what makes sense and the problem is that a lot of us are just doing things because they make sense and calling that righteousness. And in the process, we're robbing ourselves of the fullness of what it means to grow in righteousness and, 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 and to grow in right standing with God uh, because we have this very elementary understanding of, of what's supposed to transpire between us and these scriptures. Yeah, and I, th I think the way that a lot of evangelicals read the Binding of Isaac, uh, speaking of Abraham, uh, is really instructive in this regard, right? Because they, they look at it and they say, um, uh, oh, well, the, the significance of this story is that Abraham waited a really long time to have a son uh, whom he loved dearly, of course, and, and who was meant to be the... Um, you know, the fountainhead of this, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, descend, uh, th these descendants that, you know, were as numerous as the stars and so on. And so uh, Abraham had this son that, that he really loved. And then God told Abraham to do this thing that he really didn't want to do, right? And Abraham did it, even though he didn't really want to do it. And it was really hard. And that's why God, you know, gave him a, you know, a gold star for the day or whatever. Um, and, you know, all of that's true. Like, I'm sure Abraham didn't want to kill Isaac. Um, and Abraham really loved Isaac and had hung his hopes of, uh, you know, having descendants on uh, Isaac. All of that's true. But that's not the point of the story. <laughs> that is not the point of the story at all. Right. Um, the point of the story is, um, uh, well, I think, you know, certainly a more significant point of the story. I'll put it that way. Uh, is that um, Abraham had to struggle with, I don't know, what, I mean, what would you tell yourself if, if you thought that God maybe was telling you to sacrifice your only son? You would, you would tell yourself that you were crazy and then you would just go back, you'd roll over and go back to sleep. Absolutely. I would right. cuss God out for sure. Right. Yeah. 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 Quit playing on my yeah. phone. God. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So it's it, this, um, the, the point of of uh, a life of faith is that you've got to work out what you're supposed to do yeah um and it's it is anxiety inducing yeah and um uh at times nauseating and headache inducing right i mean it's it's painful um and what a lot of white evangelicals have done just to speak to my own you know tradition which i you know the, and the and the people who inhabit it um because that's what i'm most familiar with um what a lot of them is, have done is just take that part of it out entirely there's no struggle there's no 
um, question about what the right thing is. In fact, they've turned over their moral decision-making to, they, they have handed over their collective conscience to a group of people who have been deemed the decision-makers. And, uh, and they, in turn, have turned over the decisions to a political party. And that's it. And that's it. So, so that's, uh, and that's, that's meant to be the hardest part. Yeah. So they just don't do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right about that. But they think the hard thing is like, oh, I'm sitting next to this stranger on an airplane and I'm going to tell him about Jesus. And that's kind of embarrassing. And that, like, that's as hard as it gets, man. That's as hard as it gets. Yeah. Living yeah. for Jesus. You know? Yeah. No, you're right about it. We've, uh, created a bunch of like boosters instead of disciples you know like people who who, who put money in the, in the in the conference keep the program going let other people make the decisions um but, but folks not really following uh because like at the end of the day the, the, the passage I was talking about earlier, right? Luke 9, where, where Jesus has those, where uh, Luke recounts those three stories of Jesus telling people what it's like to follow him. It's interesting because those people were clearly already on board with the program, right? Like they liked what Jesus was doing. It was like, cool, I want to be a part of this. I want to do this. And, and, and Jesus' reply in each case is like, are you sure you know what you're signing up for? Right. You know? He's like, are, no, are you, you, no, you don't. You don't yeah, actually want this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and nowadays, like, people are just like, no, yeah, let, let's let's do it. And nobody's asking itself questions anymore. Like, are you sure this is what you want? Like, are you are you ready to sign up for a life of being antagonized by everybody? By by by. Well, they they see they've even appropriated that in, yeah. in a really perverse way. Like they go out and say some genuinely ignorant stuff. Right. And people are like, you know what, man, that's kind of ignorant, right? Um, yeah. And they're like, oh, here I am being persecuted for Jesus. Like, no, man, being persecuted. Like, people You're are persecuted for- because you have said some genuinely stupid things. Yeah. Not, it does, like, don't put that on Jesus, man. That's got nothing to do with Jesus. Yeah. Like, don't, don't, don't. People, you're being persecuted for being a dweeb. Don't don't you use my <laughs> Lord's name in vain like that. Like my my yeah. God ain't no dweeb, and you that's what you're, you're being a herb right now, and that's what, <laughs> and that's not even like exclusive to to uh, like Christians. People in general, I blame social media for this. When everybody has a platform and and can say what they want, like we've conditioned ourselves to believe that everybody's opinion is equal, and that's not the case. Um, I don't believe that expertise has died. I don't, I don't believe in none of that. But at the same token, like sometimes when people get at you and push back, it's, it's, it's not because of, of they, they, they disagree with, with your worldview. It's because you said something stupid because, because like, and, and that's okay. We need to get comfortable with saying like, yo, some opinions are bad. Some, some, some of this stuff is like, oh, that's just my opinion. Yes. I recognize that your opinion is bad. Like if you have an opinion that mayonnaise on waffles, is the way to go like that's a bad opinion no don't put me i don't know i've never tried it but still i'm not gonna put any weight behind it. and 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 we've gotten to this point now where where because we have the same people who preach the confederacy into existence trying to tell us about how to structure the rest of our lives and, and relations between men and women and and what is and is not a valid analytical tool for, for all that stuff. Uh, now, now, oh, I'm being persecuted for, 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 for being a Christian. Like, no, as a matter of fact, you're not. You're being persecuted because you allowed all sorts of social Darwinist things to frame your worldview 170 years ago. And now you're <laughs> complaining about unbiblical worldviews creeping into the church. Like, no, you're, you're being persecuted because the stupid things that you believe contradict the other stupid things you're trying to get me to believe. And I can see right through it that's why you're, you're being persecuted because you won't get out of my face you're being persecuted because you insist on being dumb out loud and and, and <laughs> on the timeline recently basically the, the crux of my message was like look just because we claim it's orthodoxy does not mean that our beliefs are not misogynistic right um and somebody who identified as an atheist hopped up in my mentions was like oh you um 
you support a misogynistic religion. And I was like, that's actually the exact opposite of what I just said, as a matter of fact. And they were coming at me and, and I was like, yo, I understand what you're getting at and I'm willing to have this discussion, but like on a point where I am attacking misogyny, I think that you might, you might be choosing the wrong time to launch this argument with me because it's not painting you in a good light. My point there is that like there were people in the church who would find issue with what I said. And there's people from without who will find issue for, for who I am right there. And that's what, that's the type of persecution we're talking about. We're talking about following Jesus. Jesus who was uh, both and uh, viewed as an agitator by the state and a heretic by the religious establishment. Like, that's what this comes down to. That is yep. what Jesus was viewed as a heretic and as a revolutionary by the state, as an insurrectionist, you know? That that is, I think that's such a key insight, man. Like, um, I don't remember when it dawned on me, but it is pretty. Uh, it's pretty transformative when you realize that, like, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know how this was framed in 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 your tradition, or like, uh, if this was just sort of immediately obvious to you. But I guess I grew up thinking, well, yeah. Well, actually, let me. Um, maybe it's not all that helpful to frame it just in terms of my own experience. Um, I think the narrative in a lot of conservative evangelicalism is that the persecution is going to come from the world outside <laughs> the religious establishment. Right. Right. And then it's like, well, wait a second. Um, that's like, that's not, that's not what's going on in the new Testament. Right. Well, I mean, yes, there is persecution coming from, the world outside of course right right uh, but like like uh the the people who were uh most antagonistic toward christ were Talk people in it. the religious establishment Talk right and like it. when john talks about yeah there's the there's the i don't remember the exact verse right but there's this i want to say well i won't guess uh the the passage in john where he's saying like you know they they love the praise of men more than uh, more than God, right? The men he's talking about whose praise they loved are people in the church. Yeah. Right? And yeah. like that verse always gets used as like, oh, you're capitulating to like secular humanism because you love the praise of men. Like, nope, that's, that is totally not what's <laughs> happening in that. Nope. Yeah. That, that is, what you just said is absolute nonsense. Yeah. Absolute nonsense. I'm not talking about the world. No, no. Right, right. And I think that's where we got it. Like, <laughs> there's something so dope about the way that Jesus moved and that the son of God came and in so many different ways was, and I, and I need to be careful saying this. So I'm going to say this statement. I know somebody's going to hear it and twist it, but anti-religious, not in the fact that, that Jesus like disliked religion or whatever, but that he was unorthodox is a better word right like the, the, he pushed against so many different things jesus was an agitator like think about all the time that he healed on the sabbath and we're not talking about people who like oh man if jesus doesn't heal them in this moment they're going to die like, he could have waited till sunday yeah he healed him on the <laughs> sabbath and then and then he's just he's just sitting there going say something yeah, exactly. Matter of fact, like, look, 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 let me ask y'all a question. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna do this either way, but I need to ask y'all on the front side: Is it, is it, is it, is it lawful? Is it sinful for me to do good works on the Sabbath right now? <laughs> like, yeah, let me ask you: If if yo if yo ox break fall fall in that ditch, or if if yo stuff fall down that well on the Sabbath, you gonna let it stay down there till Sunday? You gonna go get it? And and he would do things like that to be like, look the way that you guys are doing religion, the way that you are practicing this is not in line with the heart of God. That is the religion of Jesus. That is what makes Christianity so radical. And I understand the need to familiarize ourselves with certain Jewish customs, but I get a little uneasy when we Christians try to appropriate a little too much of, of the Jewish history and because that is that is a very real history that belongs to a people and we don't get to just colonize it because we call ourselves Christians but if there's anything we need to learn from that story is the fact that what Jesus did made a lot of the people in his culture uncomfortable so if we're going to follow Jesus we have to get used 
to making people in our culture. I'm not talking about like just the secular culture. I'm talking about the the religious culture that we're growing up with, the people that that, that we grew up in church with, the, the the fellow pastors around us, and all of those things. Like following Jesus means we get to make them uncomfortable sometimes because there are certain times when the traditions that we've passed down are not in line with the heart of God. Yeah. Oh, we need a cult. We need a culture war on the church. Is what we need. That's that's like forget about the culture war against you know secular culture right Right. i mean and i think you know if you if you look at the you know um like when i say that christ uh functions as a prophet i'm not saying that christ was just a prophet of course right but but there's a way in which you know christ there's this kind of like you know type that runs straight back to the prophets in the Hebrew scriptures. And um, I see a lot of what Christ is up to as being firmly, I mean, he's, you know, if you're there on the ground watching what Christ is up to, um, he looks a lot like a prophet, right? right. Um, and uh, and their, their, their concern, like all of their antipathies are directed at the religious establishment. Right. 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 And who are they arguing with? They're arguing with they're arguing with like, you know, like the pastors and the like the, you know, the the church, the the people in the church hierarchy. That's who they're arguing with. Right. And they're saying they're saying, look, like there's all this injustice going on. And you all um, you all have gotten uh, you you've used what is sacred uh, to sanctify all of this injustice. You're doing the opposite of what uh, of, of what uh what you're supposed to be doing right, right. one of my favorite passages to re-examine um the 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 parable of the woman with the with the two mites right not even the parable mm-hmm. of the woman and 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 a lot of times we teach that about oh look at how great sacrificial giving is when if you look at the actual context of that story it's right after jesus finishes talking about how they are preying on widows, how they how they demand everything from them when when like by comparison, like you're you're not giving anything and we're giving them everything. Um and then Jesus tells that story and and so it's really a as much as we want to commend that lady for her faithfulness, it's also an indictment on the the people who had more. And instead of ensuring that this widow wasn't giving her last <laughs> they just watched her do it they, they watched somebody sacrifice while they lived in surplus and a lot of times we read that passage with the wrong level I, I believe that jesus was a little angry when he had that conversation with her and there's a lot of anger because if you were to sit there and and take a tally of all the times that jesus spoke with compassion versus all the times that jesus spoke with judgment righteous anger the compassion is always towards the people, right? Women on the margins, widows, single people, sick people, tax collectors, sinners. And the criticism is always reserved for the religious establishment. <laughs> right? It's, it's, like the even, people, it's the people who claim to know God. Exactly. And, invo- and, and invoke the name of God. In, in sanctifying uh, wickedness, that that right. those those are the people who who Christ is uh, consistently um, angry at. Yeah. Right. So when you look at that, when and, and and I think you're absolutely right. I believe that Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. Um, but if we were to look at modern examples of of that type of prophet. It's not the people in pulpits for the most part. Like there are some people who are who are fourth tellers in the pulpit, people who operate in the prophetic in that in that instance. Um, fourth telling, not foretelling, like telling the truth. Mm-hmm. But the the most effective prophets have been people like 
Frederick Douglass, who said that between the Christianity of this land and the Christianity of Christ, I recognize the widest possible difference. Uh, you have prophets like Ida B. Wells who said that, no, I'm not going to be quiet about this whole lynching situation because it's a high ghetto mess down here. You have prophets like Martin Luther King Jr. who said that, look, yeah, we, we can vote now, but we're not done yet. Now we need to eradicate poverty because it doesn't make any sense that there are people living like this in the United States of America. The prophets are the people who are willing to make everybody mad, literally everybody. Martin Luther King was detested by people in the church and all around the nation as a communist, as a liberal or whatever, whatever they wanted to, to throw at him. And being, speaking, operating in the prophetic means that you have to be comfortable with that level of vitriol from so many different angles because at the end of the day, we don't want to tell the truth. This is very uncomfortable. That's why you have state legislators, uh, legislators around the company right now trying to keep whatever they decided to label as CRT today out of the classrooms. Because if we taught our children the truth about, about everything, um, they'd have to think twice about saying that Pledge of Allegiance. Yeah. And it'd be, and it'd be a lot harder for them to uh, restrict voting rights. Yeah, I mean. If they had an informed public yeah I, I i would hope so i'm not so certain about that right now because well it wouldn't make it any easier presumably yeah. if you've got if you've got folks who say like hey, wait a second like what why all the white people like they go to vote and you know it's like two minutes right and then yeah. i drive by this, you know uh a few blocks over on the other side of town and there's people waiting in line for 10 hours to vote and now you're yeah. saying like people can't take them water that, right. that that seems um seems, that, that seems by design. It seems <laughs> it just goofy. Yeah. And a lot of that is because we don't know the whole history. We don't know about the fact that after the Civil War, uh, the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments, when the descendants of Africans were fully enfranchised for the first time in this nation's history, that there were literally militias and guerrilla bands of, of white people in the South who fought the federal government, like quite literally. Like we don't understand that history and the fact that registering to vote was an act of defiance for a black person that could get you and your family killed, that you can have your house bombed, your neighborhood bombed if you decided to take a bus of people to go register to vote at the town courthouse. We don't understand all the, the legacy behind that. And so now when we have legislative legislation um, that says that you can't bring water to people online, there are people who have uh, the gall to, to reply, well, no, that's just against campaigning if you read the, the the document closely like first of all i'm not a dummy like i didn't pass the bar but i know enough about the way writing laws works to know that you can accomplish something without saying it right like and that that is the job of the courts the, the judiciary branch of our, of our government to interpret the law like no i, I see what you're doing here um that that is that is like that is literally the history of laws in the south Right, right, is to stop black people from voting. And even and, the, and, and laws that accomplish things without explicitly stating them. Precisely. Because even okay, you can write a law that is neutral on its face, but that's when we find out about like the enforcing of it uh, and the discrepancies there. Is it's, it's not like part of me feels like you have to be intentionally missing that point to not get it at this point. And then I realized that there, there is, there's not a lot of difficulty in living a whole life without having a conversation with somebody who thinks differently than you, especially if you're a white person in the United States of America. Like, and it's one of those things like, I, if you sit and think about the fact that like, it, we, we talk about the unjust treatment of black people here a lot, but there's 13% of the population. It's a very small minority. And I forget that a lot because I'm black. I've been black my whole life. I've been around black people my whole life. Um, but there's so many white people who literally don't have a single meaningful relationship with a black person. It's easy for me to forget that because my, my world is very much different. You know, like I have to be around white people in, in some context because, because of where I am and stuff. And that's not the case for all white people. So you can live your entire life thinking that everything is fair because that is your experience. And if I tell you otherwise, you think I'm making it up 
because we don't have that that sort of relationship. We haven't had those conversations. Um, and that's another reason, like going back to our earlier point, talking about uh, the, the necessity of doing theology in community, it's because you rob yourself of like the fullness of whatever biblical worldview you plan on appropriating when you are unaware of the lives, including the struggles um, that other people live. You were uh, you were tweeting something earlier today about the uh, second commandment. Yeah, man. Um, <laughs> I want to ask you about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, uh, when I when I was little, it was uh, you, you say you say you say, "Oh my God!" So I'm like, "Don't use don't use the Lord's name in vain." Um, this is the third commandment I was talking about, uh, uh, right? Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Um, and and I was just thinking about how silly that is. Like, first of all. God is not God's name, right? <laughs> that that that's a that's a that's a title, um, right? So yeah, it doesn't make sense on on, on that. Like the, so, that should be safe. Second of all, um, understanding the concept biblically of names is a little tough for us to do in our society. Like on on some res- some regards, we get it because a lot of people are still doing the thing where you get married and you change your last name. Like my wife did that we got married more people are deciding not to do that right so we we don't right, understand right. the concept of a name my, so much my, my wife changed her name and i was like i was like Spirit, like why would you i would i wasn't like i was just like that's a lot of trouble like that's a lot of paperwork i don't really <laughs> care like what like yeah anyway so go ahead yeah but but the idea like one of the reasons that genealogies are so prominent in the bible is because a name was part of your identity like you're not separate from your family and that's one of the reasons that we see like paul using illustrations of adoption into the family of god that we take on the name of god when we when we come into this thing using god's name in vain is not a matter of saying oh my gosh or or god dang it or anything of the sort using the lord's name in vain is when we ascribe to god what does not belong to god is when we go out mm. And 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 do things like say women belong in XYZ place and, and attribute that to God instead of the way we want things to be. That's using the Lord's name in vain. Using the Lord's name in vain is when we stamp God's name on something to reinforce the way we want them to be rather than perpetuating the heart of God and seeing people free from sin, personal and systemic, you know? Um when we say that like God favors, you know, libertarian government. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hope not because oh man, that's uh that's that's, that's or, that the, or that the constitution is divinely inspired. Right, right. <laughs> Corny stuff like that, like stuff you gotta be a real goober to say out loud <laughs> and leave up for posterity's sake, you know, like Stuff, stuff that God reads in face palms. That's that's using uh, God's name in vain. That's using the name of the Lord in vain. Um, and I was just chuckling that that really like that that really has some of us in the throes today. Like we were still censor ourselves. Gosh darn it, <laughs> you know. Um, oh yeah. And and uh, I, I still try to be sensitive because I don't want to offend certain people in in that regard. But that's. I, in my heart of hearts, I can't believe that that's what the scripture is talking about. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, Trey, it's, this has been awesome, man. For sure, I appreciate you having me uh, on here again, man. I'm I'm honored because you you done had some some heavy hitters on here, and the fact that um I didn't scare you off after the first time that that uh that 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 warms my heart, bro. No, that was a blast, man. That was a blast. I feel like whenever we talk, I feel like we're just having a conversation. It's really and it's yeah, always sure. uh, it's always very enriching uh to me so i i really appreciate you taking the time hey for sure man i'm i, I always enjoy talking to you man you have you have an amazing mind bro i appreciate the, uh the way it works yeah i i gave me a lot to a lot to reflect on uh from our conversation so hey i'm honored bro for real all right well thanks man 